It is my joy to get to be with you here on the first Sunday of a new year, like Marshall said. Um, if perhaps you made a resolution to come to church, welcome. Um, and I want to uh, preach a sermon that I preached at our main campus last week. I'm, by the way, I don't get to be here as much as I used to. Uh, so some of you may not even know who this random guy is. Um, I am one of the pastors. I'm Robert Cunningham. I'm one of the other pastors on staff at Tate's Creek. I do most of uh, my work teaching, preaching, and so forth, and leadership at our main campus. Um, and uh, used to be a lot more here, but we're, we're uh, Marshall is really slowly taking over full leadership here at this church and has obviously done a fantastic job. And uh, But occasionally I get to come down here and be with you and preach. And um, honored to get to do the first Sunday of the year I'm going to do, I, I guess you could say it's a, uh, uh, doesn't fit with a series that you're in. It's just kind of a New Year's, uh, I don't know, resolution type sermon um, where I'm asking the, this question, can you even change? Can you change? Uh, let's look at our passage here, Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. Going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Now listen to this and tell me if this isn't you. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, you, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later. See, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Let's pray. Oh, excuse me. The word of the Lord. Yes. Now let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for um, your power in our lives, not just unto salvation, but unto transformation. Forgive us. For our doubts, forgive us for our cynicism that uh, thinks we can never be different, uh, that we can never truly change on a true um, level of being a different person um, with different desires and different habits, Lord. Uh, we've tried so often, and here we are at the beginning of a new year, and I imagine many in this room are trying it again and, um, and uh, maybe uh, wallowing in guilt and shame over another year gone and still the same. Uh, Lord, forgive the lie that we believe that we can never change, that we'll always be this way. Uh, this is just who we are. This is just our pathology. These are just our struggles. And uh, we're just going to wait until you call us home to glory, Lord. That's a lie. Um, and I pray that you would show us the truth that we can be different, um, not in resoluteness, not in resolutions, but in the power of your gospel. Uh, show that tonight. We need it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So, yeah, I want to talk about change. Um, How's everybody's New Year's resolutions going? Um, you, you, you're the new person you thought you'd be this year. Um, listen, I, I, 
I want to talk about the whole concept of change and specifically whether change is even possible because if you are like me, um, you are probably very frustrated at best and maybe cynical at worst when it comes to the idea of change in your life uh, from seemingly superficial goals of losing a few pounds all the way to deeply serious ones like ridding yourself of an addiction. Um, if there is one thing we can all relate to, it is failure to change like we want to change. So can we change? Have you given up on the idea of change? Do you even care about changing anymore? You've just tried it for so long and it's gotten you nowhere, so maybe you've just kind of given up and don't care. Around this time of year <clears throat> ago, um, I made a decision that would change my life forever. I accepted CrossFit into my heart. And um, <laughs> it has been a fantastic year with my new religion. Um, I love it. Um, I was once, like many of you, uh, lost um, at enmity with CrossFit, uh, but now I cannot imagine my life without it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's a cult, and I'm a member, and I love it. Um, here, here's, here's, I could talk all night long, and if you would like to talk CrossFit, we can talk afterwards, I'll be up front. Um, Marshall could talk to you about Jesus, I'll talk to you about CrossFit. But um, here, here's, there, I'm, I'm actually reflecting over the past year and and uh and it really has been it's been fun to actually be in shape um and i, I actually am writing a little something um uh that, that's going to be on our blog in the next week or so about what the church could learn from crossfit and um uh, and 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 there's a lot of different things that i'm going to be saying but here's one uh, that i'm gonna give you a little preview on uh, because it fits so well here um i think crossfit does this thing um holds this tension perfectly in balance um, that the church really needs to learn how to do. And it's, and it's that Matt Chandler quote that I think is so good, that it's, it's, it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Have you heard that before? That the church should be a place where it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to stay that way. Um, and, and what I have seen and noticed in, in this is that they perfectly embody that idea. You can come to CrossFit Gym and um, believe me, I can say this from personal experience and not be okay. Um, I was completely out of shape. Um, I was, it was kind of my last ditch effort of am I ever going to be a healthy adult? And I was not okay when I walked in. And it was totally okay that I was not okay. In fact, they celebrated exactly where I was, loved me where I was. And, and with incredible discipleship, by the way. But but, but here's the thing, but here's the thing. It's not okay to stay that way. It's totally okay, Robert, for you to be where you are in your out of shape mess that you are. It's not okay to stay that way. If you're gonna be here, you're gonna change. We're gonna push you, we're gonna set goals, you're going to be different. And nobody shames you for coming the way you are, but nobody allows you to stay the way you are. And this is a perfect way that the church should be living out community, discipleship, and so forth. A place that is completely okay not to be okay. It is completely okay for you to be exactly where you are when you come in these doors. But it's not okay to stay that way. If we're not taking you somewhere, then we're not doing our job. And I think churches tend to fall off on one of those two extremes. You, you find a lot of churches where it is, let's see if I can get this right, where it's not okay to not be okay. Meaning, um, we have these high standards of this is what a Christian looks like, this is what Christians do. And, stuff. and if you enter these doors and you don't meet that, it's not okay with us. 
Then you also have churches that are incredibly welcoming and gracious and, and, and get in and say, hey, this, this is a place for messy people. This is a place for sinners. This is a place where it's okay not to be okay. But they're okay with you staying where you are. And they're not willing to push you to, 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 to change and, and, and move on with where you are. If you were to evaluate our church and our tradition, um, where, would, where do you think we would fall off? The type of Christians we attract. I think we in the reform gospel centric culture tend to be a place where it's okay not to be okay. And I love that about our tradition and I will never compromise that. Grace, gospel, a home for sinners, a hospital for the needy. This is a messy place. Come wherever you are. Come, come, come. You are welcome here. Gospel, gospel, gospel. Grace, grace, grace. Love it. We'll never compromise. We will always be a church like that as long as I'm here, as long as Marshall's here, as long as the elders who are in charge will be here. However, in our tradition, in our culture, and in our church, I fear that it is easy for us to be a place where it's okay not to be okay, but at times it's okay to stay that way. It's okay for us to just preach the gospel to you over and over and over again without ever saying the same gospel that saves you is intended to be the gospel that transforms you and you can change and you need to be changing. Tonight I want to talk about that, the second half of that. Can we change? And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to look at it um, through the lens of the disciples and, and, and how easy it is to relate to them in this, in this passage. What we're going to see is that change is possible. Change is possible. But maybe you haven't found it possible because you've been coming at it wrongly. It is not possible through our own resoluteness and resolutions. It is possible through the power of the gospel. And that's what we're going to see. So we're going to see the weakness of the flesh and the power of the gospel. Okay? The weakness of the flesh, the power of the gospel. We're going to see the weakness of the flesh play out here in the disciples. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane just before his arrest and crucifixion. He needs to spend some time in prayer. He takes his inner circle, Peter, James, John. He tells them that he is overwhelmed with sorrow. He asks them to sit and keep watch while he goes off to pray. Comes back and his closest friends, his disciples, in his deepest hour of fear and need are asleep. He wakes them up and he says these words that I believe per perfectly articulate the struggle of every follower of Jesus. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Is that not you? That is certainly me. I can say this. I genuinely want to do what God wants me to do. I actually do. I do love Jesus. His spirit is inside of me. And I really do want to do what God wants me to do. My spirit is willing. But there is this inescapable weakness that seems to always hijack my sincere desires. That's what's happening in our text. These guys aren't just flippantly disobeying Jesus. They want to do what he asks. So why don't they do it? Well, it's, it's really simple. We don't have to over-spiritualize this. Look at verse 43. He came back. They're sleeping again. And look what it says, because their eyes were heavy. Don't you love that the text doesn't over-spiritualize this thing? It's just, why didn't they obey? Because they're tired. <laughs> their eyes are heavy. Willing spirit, tired eyes, and their sleepiness is more powerful than their willingness. Can you relate? I'm not just talking about fatigue. I'm talking about the paradigm as a whole. 
Can you relate to this struggle? If you're like me, then you have been here a thousand times before. This little interaction exemplifies our day in, day out battles. It could be getting up 30 minutes early so that I can read my Bible, all the way to resisting the most profound temptations of life. On the most basic level in our text, Jesus is asking them to do something and they genuinely want to do it, but the weakness of the flesh hijacks their very real, genuine desires. And that is the essence of the Christian struggle. And that is something we all know so well. Perhaps Jesus is saying to you here at the new year, it's really time for you to seek me with your whole heart. It's time. Um, whether it be prayer or his word or fellowship, um, church membership, church attendance, all of these disciplines that God has given us that we may seek him and find him, and if you're a Christian, you want to do them and you feel convicted, I really need to, to recommit myself to the basics of the Christian walk. The spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. You want to sleep in. <laughs> so do I. You want to watch TV when you get home. You want, to, you want to lose yourself in social media. We want to practice the spiritual disciplines. If you're a Christian here, that's what you want to do. But it's hard to practice the spiritual disciplines. And so often, like the disciples give in to their heavy eyes, we give in to the weakness of flesh. Perhaps Jesus is saying to you, it's time this year, it's time. It's time for you to get control over your appetites. For too long, you've been mastered by the flesh, by the appetites. Eating whatever you want, drinking whatever you want, viewing whatever you want, purchasing whatever you want, for too long, your stomach has ruled you in a metaphorical sense. Your hungers have ruled you. And Jesus says, it's time for you to tell your appetites no. A fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's time for you to say no to yourself. And you want to. You want this for yourself. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I'm hungry. Not just not just physical hunger, that, that may be an issue for some of you, but a deeper hunger. This, is, this thing is my comfort. This is my escape. This is my pleasure in my otherwise boring life that I live. I want it. I'm hungry. And so there we are, like the disciples with their heavy eyes, and we give in to the flesh. And on and on I could go with this paradigm. To me, the spirit is willing... But the flesh is weak is a profound commentary on the life of a Christian this side of glory. And perhaps January 1 has stirred hopes of change. But experience has proven that January 1 resolutions are not more powerful than the weakness of the flesh. In fact, we're January 7 or whatever it is. And for many of you, you've probably already blown it. So... Is that it, is the question. Can we change? Is it even possible? The weakness of the flesh, is it always going to be stronger than the willingness of my spirit? Just going to have to live in failure until glory? Um, absolutely not. In the name of Jesus, absolutely not. Um, we can change. We can be different people. And I mean not just change habits. I'm talking about like a different person. Reordered desires. Changed habits, serious change. We can be different, but not by your own strength. Your resolve is not stronger than the weakness of your flesh. 
Your New Year's resolutions are not stronger than the weakness of your flesh, but your Jesus Christ is stronger than the weakness of your flesh. We have seen the weakness of the flesh. Let's look now to the power of the gospel. What you need to know about this gospel that we hold so dear at this church is that it is not just the power to save, it is the power to change. Not just salvation, but transformation. Now, I think we understand very well how the gospel saves us, but I think we are deficient in understanding how the gospel changes us. In our passage, you have the disciples as weak and faithless, not able to keep their eyes upon, open for Jesus, who are then transformed into bold and courageous men willing to die for Jesus. We're talking a month and a half later. A month and a half later, Peter is going to stand before a crowd of people who hate him and want to kill him and preach the gospel. The same guy who couldn't keep his eyes open for Jesus in his darkest hour of need. What happened to these men? What transformed these men who you see in the gospels as just utter faithless failures into these people you see in Acts and the epistles that still have their sins, still have their issues, but completely different people? What happened to these men? Well, two monumental acts that change everything. What is going on in our context or our passage? Why is Jesus so overwhelmed? You know, he's preparing to die. He's preparing to die, and then on the other side of death, he is ready to rise. And it is his death and his resurrection that unlocks the power of transformation in our lives. Because his death and resurrection each eliminate what I believe are the two biggest obstacles that we face when it comes to change. Let me tell you what they are up front, and then I want to show you how the cross and resurrection defeats them. Here are your two biggest enemies when it comes to change in your life. Guilt and doubt. Guilt over your inability to change and doubt that you ever will be able to change. To our guilt, I proclaim to you Christ crucified. To our doubt, I proclaim to you Christ risen from the dead. I want to look at those. First, why did Jesus die? He's overwhelmed with sorrow in this garden. He's fearful. He's about to die. Why is he so scared? Because he knows what he has to do. He has to die to forgive us. And that's going to take more than just a physical death. That is, in, and what we just sang, we just sang of it before the throne of God above, to make that propitiation, he is going to be, have to be overwhelmed with the wrath and justice of God. But only in this way can forgiveness truly and finally be finished. So why did he die? He died to forgive you. And when I say forgive you, I mean forgive you. All sins, past, present, future, are forgiven and forgotten. There is literally not an ounce of guilt and condemnation left for you, Christian. He cannot even remember the sins that you cannot forget. They're gone. Now, do you know what that means? Do you know what the news of the cross means? It's never too late. Endless second chances. Or, as the scriptures proclaim, new mercies every single morning you wake up. And that is so important in your desire to change. What is it about January 1st that makes it feel like this day of change, of resolution? Well, it has the feeling of newness, right? It's a, it's a, fake, it's a fake feeling, but it, it feels that way. 
People feel like they can start over. Finally, I've got a clean slate. No matter what they've done before, no matter how much they blew it in the previous year, today feels like a day I can start over fresh. And there's something incredibly powerful and freeing when it comes to change in our life is this feeling of newness, of a clean slate. We get caught in this downward spiral of guilt and shame over our failures to the point where it feels utterly insurmountable, doesn't it? And, and, we, and we get to this point where we say, what's the use in even trying? So we just give in. More weakness, which only compounds the guilt. And the burden gets even heavier. And we just kind of get into this downward spiral of paralyzing guilt. But if there was some way that you could start over, right... It has this feeling of, if I could just go back. How many people say that about their lives? If I could just go back. If I could just go back and, and I could start over again, maybe it'd be different. Give it another try. Hit reset. Clean slate. That feels so much more doable than digging myself out of this guilt. And January 1 gives us this faux sense of being able to hit reset. Well, do you know what the cross says to you? Every day, in a very real, not faux, but real sense, you wake up to a clean slate. Every day, you wake up with a fresh start. Every day, you get a do-over. We get so paralyzed by years of failure, and we feel so guilty, depressed, and overwhelmed, and we say, I'm such a mess, where do I even start? The cross says to you, well, how about tomorrow? You can start then, or, or the next day. We'll be fine, too. Mercy will be there, too. Or the next day. Or the next day, because His mercy is new every morning. Because the cross is that powerful. So you've blown it. So have I. Well, the death of Jesus is a fountain of endless newness. Why not tomorrow? So the obstacle of guilt is overcome by the cross. Here's a second obstacle to change. It's doubt. And doubt is defeated by the resurrection. If I were to ask you, what is the central application of 1 Corinthians 15, what would be your answer? 1 Corinthians 15 is Paul's uh, biggest um, teaching on the resurrection. And essentially, 1 Corinthians 15 says this, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and you're going to be risen from the dead just like him. Okay? So he's the first fruits of resurrection, and all those who fall asleep in Christ will be raised to newness, perfect, everlasting life just like Jesus. That's the teaching of 1 Corinthians 15. All right. What would you suppose is Paul's application to that chapter? We would expect a future application, right? Take heart. The day is coming. Set your eyes upon future glory. When you will be changed, hold on until that day of glory kind of thing. But that's not how he ends the chapter. He ends the entire chapter on future resurrected glory and perfection with this. He just finished his famous boast, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Then he says this, Thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, so here's his application. Here's his application of the resurrection. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Because Jesus is risen, and you too will be risen, you labor now really, really hard for him because you know your labor is not in vain. That's an interesting application. Apparently, Paul believes that future promise is meant to bring about present change. What we shall be is intended to affect what we are now trying to be. 
And that future promise of change, rightfully understood, will do exactly that. Because what it does is it shatters your doubts and your cynicism that change is even possible. Have you ever noticed these workout plans, be it CrossFit or whomever, dieting plans, whatever, they all market themselves the same way. It's what? It's before and after picks, right? You know what they're doing there? They are trying to overcome your cynicism that you'll never be different. They are stirring hope of transformation. They know how, how paralyzing it is that you are cynical that you could ever look different. Whatever. You, can never, I, you look and you say, I can never look like these people. And so they show you the guy who once was like you. <laughs> no abs. <laughs> and now, whoo, spray tan, six-pack abs. Look at that. He did it. And they're trying for you to see yourself in that transformation. They're saying, don't listen to your cynicism that says this can never happen to you. Don't look at your cynicism that says this workout plan will not work. Look at this picture. Change is possible. Your labor is not in vain. And there's a lot of power there because deep down we truly doubt that change is possible. This is just who I am. My pathology is inescapable. My habits are unbreakable. My failure is unavoidable. So what's the point in even trying to be different? Well, the resurrection of Jesus is intended to awaken you from the despair of that lie. 1 Corinthians 15 gives you your after picture. You shall be changed. That's a direct quote. You shall be changed in a twinkling of an eye. You shall be changed and you will be raised incorruptible, perfect, this will be you. Therefore, contrary to your lies, contrary to your doubts, contrary to your cynicism, your labor is not in vain. The resurrection of Jesus is not just a motivational tool toward change. It guarantees change. God did it to him and God promises to do it to us. Now, let that future glory free you from the entrapment of defeatism now. You are no longer allowed to say, I just can't imagine life not in bondage to this weakness. The resurrection doesn't just ask you to imagine that life, it guarantees that life. You will be free, you shall be glorified, you shall be perfected. Therefore, any thought that you can't be moving toward that now, any thought that you're incapable of that now has to be a lie. It has to be a lie that you cannot experience this because you shall experience it. It has to be a lie that you can't change for the better now. Any thought like that has to be a lie. I can't change is categorically untrue because, to quote 1 Corinthians 15, you shall be changed. Now, give yourself to the change that you are one day guaranteed to have. All right. Let's apply this as specifically as we possibly can. In our passage, Jesus asked his disciples to stay awake and watch, but they didn't because their eyes were heavy. They were tired. What is one thing, and we'll just go for one. I know you're like, I don't know where to start with my list. I don't know. Just go one. What is one thing that you know Jesus is asking you to do, like he asked his disciples to do? I want you to stay awake, but they fell asleep because their eyes were heavy. What is it he's saying? I want this. But for whatever reason, you're not doing it. One thing that your spirit is willing, but your flesh is just too weak. Okay, do you have that? Now, I'm not going to ask you to write that down as a resolution for 2018, only to go to the graveyard of past resolutions. 
Instead, I'm going to ask you to do what we so beautifully heard sung earlier. I'm, I'm going to ask you to lay it down at the feet of Jesus, to submit it to his cross and his resurrection. First, the cross. I don't care how many times you have failed in that area. I don't care. Perhaps you can't even count. It doesn't matter. God remembers your sin no more. He cannot remember what you cannot forget. You get a redo today, tomorrow, and every day for the rest of your life. Your guilt says you've already caused such a mess, so what's the use in trying? The cross says you have no mess, so why not try again? No matter what you have done, no matter how much you have done, right now in this moment you have a totally clean slate. That's not wishful thinking. That is reality of the righteousness of Jesus Christ that is yours. You have a totally clean slate. You can start over. Let his cross remove perhaps decades of guilt over that thing. You can start over. Now the resurrection. I don't care if you can't envision your life free from that thing. I don't care if you have longed for change for years and you haven't seen it. The resurrection says you shall be changed. You will have it. With 100% certainty, you will have the change that you so desire. Therefore, your labors now to see that change come to be, your labors are not in vain. In fact, they are guaranteed effectual. Does that make sense? Whatever you try to do toward change in that area is guaranteed to succeed because of the resurrection. Your doubts say I'll never be different, so what's the use in trying? The resurrection says you shall be different, so what's the use in not trying? Let his resurrection remove all doubt about that struggle. Take your struggle. That area where the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, don't give it to a list of resolutions. Give it to Jesus. His cross that removes all guilt over that struggle. His resurrection that removes all doubt over that struggle. You can change because Jesus can and will change you. Let me pray. Help us, O oh God, to fight the temptation that I know so well and my friends here know so well um, that we can't be different. This is who we are. It's going to be another year of failure. Lord, we believe in faith, not in ourselves, but in our, our crucified and risen Lord. We believe that this year can be the year that we are different, that we change. Remove our guilt by your cross. Remove our doubts by your resurrection. Now as we come to your sacrament, which proclaims both to our souls. In Jesus' name, amen.